You're listening to The Edge with Aaron Karolnik, giving you the expert advantage in the world of gambling and fantasy. All right, well, a special Wednesday edition of TSN Edge Radio right here on TSN 1050. I am Aaron Karolnik, and there are no shortage of topics to get into today. A wild, wild day ahead if you're a fan of the Toronto Raptors. And uh, there are many reasons to be intrigued by tonight's Raptors-Nuggets game. The Raptors have lost nine games in a row. They're 17-26 and 26 and are a one-and-a-half-point underdog hosting the Nuggets, who've won 9-11. of 11. Of course, the all-women's broadcast on TSN this evening as well, which will be great and we're looking forward to. But perhaps the most alluring of all the angles is the buzz around Kyle Lowry and Norman Powell ahead of tomorrow's NBA trade deadline. It goes off at 3 o'clock, and the rumor mill is red hot. It's time to welcome in my old buddy, Bruce Arthur of the Toronto Star, a man once known for writing about Alvin Williams. Now he writes stories about David Williams. Good morning, Bruce. Yeah, where did I go wrong, right? Like, <laughs> at one point, I guess it wasn't me that really went wrong, but it feels like something's gone pretty terribly wrong. <laughs> well, you have certainly diversified your skill set, my friend, a skill set that was already pretty diversified to begin with. Maybe we'll, we'll discuss a little bit about some of your work with regards to what you're covering day-to-day with the Toronto Star these days. But for the focus of this interview for the next 10 to 15 minutes, let's talk about the raps. And Bruce... Just for you, my man, it's time for the debut of Aaron's Sportsbook. Hey, that Aaron Karolnik guy, he's a hell of a handicapper, huh? He's so good he could change the odds of any bookmaker in the world. His numbers were so sharp, we gave him his own sportsbook. This is Aaron's Sportsbook. Dram. Drama. The drama builds. That's an homage to Casino, of course, the Al Al Pacino, if you haven't seen Casino. And you're probably not going to be a fan of this show because (laughs) there are many gambling references that we need to get to, Bruce. Let's get to your expertise with regards to the Raptors. We know you're plugged in. And let's get to prop number one in Aaron's Sportsbook, where I set the lines. And the prop is, will Kyle Lowry be a member of the Toronto Raptors after tomorrow's trade deadline? No is the favorite at minus 250 meaning you'd need to bet $250 to profit $100. Where would your money be wagered with regards to Lowry's future in Toronto, Bruce? Now, that's interesting because when you sent me an email about this last night, the odds were <laughs> 150 yes. They have changed. The market's moving a bit. I think he's going to go. Um, I think, like, I, the problem with this is that it's incredibly fluid because this, this move is not just this year, right? This is if you're going to be pl- running an NBA team, you're not playing checkers; you're playing chess. So a move of Kyle Lowry is part of a, a strategy as to what you're going to look like next year, what the overall picture your team is. They never really thought he was going to be here after this year, but that wasn't an impossibility. If everything else flamed out, it's possible Kyle would come back. But I think I, I know they've been talking to other teams. I know that there were at least four deals uh, on the table last night. That doesn't mean that they're close on any of them. It just means those deals have been offered. Um, And I think they're going to pick one. And Kyle is good enough to swing a team in a weird year and can fit with almost any team. I think Kyle Lowry is going to go. And I think it's going to be sad that Raptors fans don't get to say goodbye to him in person. 
Um, but they'll get to welcome him back sometime in the future would be my guess. Yeah, it, it is amazing to think that the Raptors playing down in Tampa, Lowry, his legacy as a Raptor. I continue to think back to Game 6 of the NBA Finals, just how incredible he was to start that game. And the dominant 11 points to start it was just something that Raptors fans will never forget. And you mentioned the impact that Lowry could have on another organization. Let's talk about potential destinations in Prop 2 on Aaron's Sportsbook and how Lowry's arrival could affect the odds should he be moved. Now, the Sixers are currently 15-1 to to win the title, and Miami is 34-1. to Those are the two teams that are most heavily linked to Lowry. How do you think he could affect their title chances, Bruce? Well, part of it is who comes back, right? So if you're dealing with Philly in a straight-up two-team deal, I think a three-team deal might make more sense, but a two-team deal, you're looking at they're going to lose Tyrese Maxey or Matisse Thibel and some salary. Uh, Danny Green, who's actually been helpful for them, and maybe another piece. That's not the end of the world. The Philly gets better. So Philly, I think, and take a look at the East. A team with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Kyle Lowry against the Brooklyn Nets, where you have two all-NBA defenders and a third really, really, really good one. That's what you need to beat the Nets, probably. Um, or if you're playing against Milwaukee, like I, Joel Embiid can eat up Giannis Antetokounmpo. I firmly believe that. So I actually would like their odds a lot. Now, what does it move to from 15 to 1? It probably moves up to like 12, 11 or so. That would be my guess because it isn't a gigantic jump because you are losing pieces. But you're not losing the pieces that are important. Miami is even more complicated because you're probably making a deal that involves uh, Duncan Robinson. I, do- I doubt Tyler Hero. But let's say you get Duncan Robinson and a bunch of pieces. Now, what are the other pieces? Are you getting Goran Dragic back? He's been helpful for Miami. Kelly Olynyk, starter for Miami. Uh, Andrea Gudala, he's been kind of a Swiss Army knife tool as a, as a wing defender, but that probably is the piece that hurts the least. So if you are Miami and you give up Iguodala and Duncan Robinson, an elite shooter, and get Kyle Lowry back, you're better. Um, are you better enough? Now, remember with Miami, that's a team that went through a huge COVID outbreak. I think the number I heard is that there were 13 people on that team who got COVID. Wow. They are better than they have shown. And so from 34 to 1, I think you do move up. You move up probably into the 20s, mid-20s, I would say, 25 to 1, because they'd still be an underdog. They would just be a team that Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, uh, Bam Adebayo, all of a sudden you've got a much better team. But the East still has a bunch of heavyweights above you, including Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. and a little bit Philadelphia. So, Bruce, and Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star is our guest here on The Edge. I am Aaron Karolnik. We talked a lot about Kyle Lowry, and rightfully so. He's a very impactful player for if he stays with the Raptors, if he's traded somewhere else, he's going to make a big impact. But Norman Powell has averaged 23 points per game since the beginning of February. He has been one of the league's most efficient scorers since that time. And Aaron Sportsbook lists Norm Powell as even more likely to be moved than Lowry. He's a minus 400 favorite to be traded before the deadline. So you think that's a safe bet at this point? If Norm Powell isn't traded, I have to presume that like there's an internet outage at Raptors headquarters and all the phones go out. <laughs> I think he's going to go. <clears throat> I think I think that there's a lot of teams that can use him. I think there's a lot of chatter around Norm Powell. Now it's a matter of figuring out what you want to do a little more. Like if you're the Raptors, my guess is they go younger, and that they they're not trying to win right now with whatever these deals are. Like I don't think they're going to make a three-team deal where Kyle brings back Vucevic and Norm brings back. Uh, like a, a roughly equivalent player. 
Um, but they, they're going to have options to move Norm Powell. And the thing with Norm, he's been really good for this team. Is he a starter on a really good team? Is he a primary scorer on a really good team? Does he do enough other than scoring? No, he doesn't. Like, he just doesn't. He's not a very good defensive player, not much of a rebounder. He's not a playmaker. He's a great shooter and scorer, sixth man type. And you're just not going to pay $20 million for that. So Norm is probably going to go. This is the end, right? Like, this is the moment where this is the end of the Raptors championship window. And so Masai Ujiri loved that team. He loved everything about that team. This is not a sentimental organization. He is not a sentimental president of a team. Norm, I would say, is a pretty safe bet to go. Let's let's hope they're using Bell phone and internet services at Raptors headquarters, <laughs> Bruce, because we know that's the most reliable. And I'm glad you mentioned the name Masai Ujiri because we talk about Lowry and Powell as pending free agents, but Masai Ujiri does not have a contract heading into next season. The sports book lists Masai's odds on returning as a heavy minus 300 favorite, so that is an implied probability of 75%. What is your thinking with regards to Masai's standing with the Raptors as of this moment? Uh, my guess is he is back, but the thing with that is, again, that's that's still a fluid situation. Every, like, there's so many moving pieces in this league all the time, and the fact that Mas- my my feeling on Masai has always been until he is signed, he is not signed, and that sounds really obvious, but it's going to be his decision. And this is not a man without options in his life. And the fact that it's taken this long, the fact that there was bad blood, or not bad blood, but dissatisfaction in the organization that Masai and his team weren't offered contract extensions right after the, uh, the championship, it's lasted until now. Now there's new leadership at Bell. Um, George Cope was someone that Masai trusted. Uh, Larry Tannenbaum is someone that Masai trusted, but is maybe not long for the organization. I, I think that's on the table. So this is a little bit of a complicated one. If I had to guess, I would guess that Masai comes back. But I don't think this is one that I would 100, 100, 100 percent bet money on just because there are more unknowns to this than there are to probably some of the other pieces. I'm, I, if I'm looking like, I know it's a, this is a heavy odds one. It's just, to me, it's not done until it's done. So, like, other people can bet this, and maybe Messiah comes back. I think that's probably the most likely scenario based on everything I've heard. But, again, this is the one where who's to say one team doesn't just all of a sudden go ahead and blow him out into the water? He's Giannis Nascoupo on a free agent market if he wants to be. Do you know what I find most interesting about Masai, Bruce, is that how often in professional sports does an executive at the helm of an organization make these transformational moves, like trading Kyle Lowry, trading Norman Powell, without any assurances that he's part of the organization for the long term? It's an unprecedented situation, which leads me to believe that there's some kind of contract in a, de- in a drawer somewhere, because otherwise, how are you going to give Masai the keys to the future of your organization, trading away Lowry and Powell? and making these huge moves without any assurances that he's part of the long-term plan. I, this is an imperfect comparison, but if you remember when LeBron James was a free agent in 2010 for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and that team, I'm going to go ahead and say that they added Anton Jameson and Shaq to that team, okay. and they didn't know, and Shaq at that point was old, and they didn't know if LeBron was going to stay, but they went all in. This is a little bit different because you just have to trust Masai Ujiri. Like all the other pieces of the front office and coaching staff who they want to be re-signed have been re-signed, right? Like Bobby Webster has a contract. Nick Nurse has a contract. The organization is not 
it's still Masai's organization and still exactly what you think this organization should be and, until the moment that all of a sudden something changes. I think that, again, if you thought Masai was definitely going to leave and he decided to trade Kyle Lowry and Norm Powell for youth uh, that would build towards the next era, that's still something this organization should do, right? Like, that's still, that's still the direction you should be going. Again, I think he's coming back. I don't think he's going to push this to the edge and make bad decisions. At this point, if you don't trust Masai Ujiri with his franchise, no matter what's going on, then, I don't know, I think you're playing the wrong game. Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star is our guest here on The Edge. And, Bruce, you have shifted from sports to, I guess, just the vaccine, the coronavirus over the past year. So let me get your take on an odds. I mean, this is something that's very pertinent and important to all Ontarians. General Rick Hillier says all Ontarians can get vaccinated by June 20th if supply allows. What do you think the odds are of that actually happening? I would say don't trust timelines from Rick Hillier in general because sometimes he makes them up. And there's people even like within the government who go, I don't know what's happening here. Uh, that said, there's a lot of problems on the table. Potentially, it's possible that the EU, which has only vaccinated 10 percent of its population, could cut off exports. And that would include Canada. And almost all our vaccines are made in the EU. That said, it sounds like federal officials have been told that's not going to happen. If that doesn't happen, then I would bet. I'm very bullish on Canada having enough vaccines by June for everyone to get a first shot. And it's possible we could have more. I believe the contract for Johnson & Johnson in this quarter is 10 million doses. So, like, the, the vaccines are going to come. They're absolutely coming. I would be pretty bullish on that as a bet, um, knowing, of course, that is a life-and-death bet for some people, and it is the biggest issue this country has faced since its management of the pandemic in the first place. So it's a big one. But of all, I've been relatively pessimistic in this um, in this whole thing, and been I feel like I've been unfortunately kind of validated a little bit on that. But on vaccines, I am optimistic that we're going to get where we need to get to. Bruce Aaron Sportsbook, the only place where you could find odds on General Rick Hillier's proclamation. <laughs> that is a special, special place. Thank you, my friend. Can't wait to see you. Hopefully, in studio for a Breakfast Club. Late 2021 is my. It's probably a safe bet, and uh, we look forward to reconvening then, my friend. Those are wonderful odds, and I will take them any day. All right, my man. That is Bruce Arthur of the Toronto Star here on the Edge, and what a transformation! You go from covering the Leafs and the Raptors to coronavirus and political officials. That is the testament to the talent and quality of journalist that Bruce Arthur truly is. Another quality journalist, Adam Scully from Golf Talk Canada, the WGC Dell Match Play. Technologies. I don't know. It's a very convoluted title, but it's currently ongoing, and Rory McIlroy is chopping it around. We'll get an update from Scully and his best bets to win the tournament next on The Edge. Back here on The Edge on this Wednesday morning, a beautiful day outside. It makes me think of golf. I was fortunate enough to tee it up on Monday, of course, just demolishing Carlo Koliakovo in a match, as I always do. Not actually. We only played nine holes, and there was no match because it was the first swings of the year. But a man who I would never want to play in a match, at least heads up, is Adam Scully. He's from Golf Talk Canada, which you can hear right here on TSN 1050 on Mondays at 10 a.m. Mr. Scully, what's going on? 
Aaron, my friend, uh, good to be with you. Thank you for having me on. And you actually played nine complete holes of golf in the GTA this week. I did. Shout out to Dragon's Fire Golf Club in like Carlisle, Ontario. It was a little bit of a hike from my downtown condo, but it was worth it. And there was like a two-hour frost delay or something, so that pushed all the tee times way back. But golf is coming, my man. You look at the long-range forecast, I think we'll be out there in no time. Yes, I agree. I actually, I hit golf balls. Uh, I've hit balls twice since last November. The first time uh, was about a month and a half ago, and I was sore for three days later. Maybe I'm chasing speed like Bryson DeChambeau right now, but I also hit balls last Sunday. Swing felt a little better. So yes, as we look outside here, we've had, you know, temperatures of 15 to 18 degrees the last four or five days. I am getting excited. Well, you mentioned chasing speed, and that's exactly what Rory McIlroy admitted to doing last week. And he's been struggling a little bit, and he went off early in his match against Ian Poulter. Tough start for Rory. He is two down through seven. What do you make of what's going on with Rory's game as a whole? And do you think he could get the form together? Maybe not this week, but leading up to uh, the Masters in a couple of weeks. I can't believe we're only a couple of weeks from the Masters. But what do you make of Rory's game overall, Scully? Yeah, it really is hard to believe that the Masters is just a couple of weeks away, given that the last one was four and a half, five months ago. It's it's strange. You know, we've known Rory and Rory McIlroy for his entire career has been one of the best drivers of the golf ball, even though he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's five foot ten at the absolute most, maybe 160 pounds. And and his ball speed, you know, is, is up there on tour. And now he's trying to get even faster and that has certainly messed up the timing of his swing we saw him make a quadruple bogey eight uh in on the 18th hole in the first round of the players championship a couple weeks ago he's got a huge two-way miss off the tee and now he's trying to reel it in with swing coach pete cowan but if i were talking to rory i would say don't worry about the distance worry about your wedges inside mm -hmm. 150 yards he has just been so mediocre where if he'll hit these great tee shots out there, you know, 320 plus off the tee and have a wedge in his hand, he's just dumping these wedges 30, 40 feet long and not taking advantage. I would try, you know, I know Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson both live in Florida and I think they're pretty close friends. A couple of years ago, DJ was in the same boat and completely revamped his wedge game. And now he's one of the better wedge players on the PGA Tour, just taking a track man and getting his numbers dialed in. So if I were speaking to Rory, I would say don't worry about chasing speed and worry about getting those wedges dialed in. So, Scully, this week at the Dell Technologies Match Play, it's a WGC, so you're seeing all the top players in the world, for the most part, participate. But it's a match play event, so it's very different than your traditional stroke play. And that is reflected in the odds a little bit. Bryson is listed as the favorite alongside Justin Thomas, DJ and John Rahm, then Rory at 20-1. to 1. When you're handicapping a tournament like this that has a very unique format to the rest of the PGA Tour, do you look towards the guys at the top of the betting odds, or maybe you look maybe a little bit more towards the bottom? And does that reflect historically in the winner at all? Yeah, you know what? It's it, it's funny because this tournament is going on at the exact same time as the NCAA tournament, where the favorites and the the dark horses there's much more of a dispersion. But you know, as we know, as we both know in golf. Any given match, anyone can go win, and the style of play in match play is so different. I mentioned Rory McIlroy making a quadruple bogey at the players. If you make a quadruple bogey in match play, it's honestly, you just lose a hole. You don't lose four shots. You just lose one. So, you know, that's one of the major differences in, in match play versus stroke play. In terms of the betting odds, 
I'm not sure if you if looking at the favorite is the number one thing to do. There's a couple of value picks who who are a little further down, um, who have done well in this tournament before. One of those guys for me in particular is Louis Oosthuizen who has played very well in this tournament before. He's played okay this year. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm seeing him at around, you know, 35 to 1 or so right now. A guy around the same boat, Jason Day. He's got a bunch of new equipment in the bag this week. His game seems to be get, coming back on form. He's done well at this tournament as well. Him at around 45 to 1. And then you look at some other guys who have done well in the Ryder Cup. Like Sergio Garcia, 40 oh, yeah. to 1. I, I think that's... If if he can get that flat stick rolling with putting with his eyes closed, like I don't know how he does that, but he's doing that well. <laughs> he could be one there too. I I look at guys who have done well in this tournament to do well again this week because the golf is just so different. Adam Scully from Golf Talk Canada is our guest here on the Edge. I'm Aaron Carolink. You mentioned Sergio. He's going head to head with Lee Westwood today. That should be quite a match. A couple resurgent forty somethings. They have been all over the Ryder Cup teams over the last decade or so. But a matchup I am probably most intrigued in: Matthew Fitzpatrick against Jordan Spieth. And Fitzpatrick's had a lot of quality appearances in the last couple of months. And Jordan Spieth has been resurgent. Absolutely awesome play from him. Uh, we haven't seen from him in years. What do you make of that matchup, and what do you make of their respective chances this week? I'm really curious to see what happens in this matchup. I mentioned earlier Rory McIlroy chasing speed, and you know, last right, after, right around the Masters last year, just before Matt Fitzpatrick was very critical of Bryson DeChambeau, saying you know what he's doing isn't good for the game. And Bryson sort of came back and said, "Hey, Matt, you know what? I I will help you anytime you want help." And earlier this week, there were photos out there of Bryson and Fitzpatrick on the range together, coiling their backs and getting the front foot up. So I'm curious <laughs> what comes out of that conversation. But you know what? I I really like Jordan Spieth. In this event, yes, he showed some great form. Uh, three top fours, I believe, in his last five or six appearances. And, you know, match plays a thing where, you know, Jordan Speed is known to have a big miss, especially in, since he hasn't won at the 2017 Players' Championship. Uh, sorry, 2017 Open Championship, my apologies. So looking forward to seeing what Speed has this week. And Fitzpatrick, he's done well, uh, obviously, in match play before. As an amateur, he's pretty even keel, putting with the flag stick in as well. He was in the mix of the Players' Championship, some really squirrely misses on both Saturday and Sunday. But this is definitely going to be a great matchup for sure. I cannot think of a bigger disparity between two human beings. Fitzpatrick, who probably weighs, what, 150 pounds, and Bryson is just a bulky monster. They would be just an incredible uh, showdown over the course of this, this tournament. I love match play. I think this is going to be so good. I can't wait to just sit in front of my TV for the next five days and watch mm -hmm. it. Another event that I just cannot get enough of is the Masters. Two weeks tomorrow. The Masters begins, which is remarkable. Today is Wednesday, right? Yeah, it is. And yeah. uh, you think about the odds leading up to the tournament. Sometimes players or uh, bettors like to look ahead a little bit and maybe get ahead of the public because we know a ton of money comes in the week of the event. And we remember Bryson DeChambeau last year, I guess last November, everyone was all over Bryson and he did not perform nearly as to what people expected. Are there any guys you're targeting right now who you're eyeing and looking at, okay, maybe I can get him at a number today that might not necessarily be available the week of the Masters? 
Yeah, totally. One guy that jumps out immediately is Cameron Smith. Somewhere in the 50 to 1 range I'm seeing right now, he became the first player to ever shoot four rounds in the 60s and one Masters tournament back in November. And yes, I know that the course was playing much different. It was much softer. It was just a different golf course than we always see in April. But he's a guy, he has played well so far this year. I've coined him as the magic mullet man on Golf Talk Canada. Imagine seeing that mullet with a green jacket. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what Augusta National would think about that, but he's one guy for sure who I'm certainly uh, looking at. And, I mean, you know, think of other guys. Abraham Answer had a good showing back in November. He's played okay. I'm pretty high on Abraham Answer this week. I'm always really curious about Sergio Garcia because he, he's one of the great ball strikers in the PGA Tour. I had him at the Players' Championship. He got out of the gates really well. Unfortunately, the weekend, not so much. If, if Sergio can avoid putting eight balls in the water on 15 like he did in his title defense a couple of years ago, I, I think he could be another good value pick there as well. And maybe Jordan Spieth, if he keeps yep. it rolling this week, I think he's just going to continue to vault up the list of the top, uh, the top odds for the Masters. He's sixth the sixth highest odds behind just Rory, Rom, JT, DeChambeau, and the defending champion, Dustin Johnson. If you told me that at this point last year, I'm sure you could have gotten Jordan Spieth at much, much higher odds. Mm -hmm. Mr. Scully, I look forward to seeing you on the golf course soon. I look forward to listening to you on Golf Talk Canada every Monday at 10 a.m., and we appreciate your time this morning, my friend. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to seeing your Twitter updates and your duel with Carlo against uh, Jeff McDonald and, and James Duffy. Uh, do, do you guys play match play? Do you play what, what's the format when you guys play? Yeah, we play high low, high low, okay. and okay. Uh, it has not gone well for Carlo and I. But I have undertaken an off-season transformation oh, for the ages. My physique is very reminiscent of Bryson. In the bad way, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, I'm hopeful that I can reel in in the next two weeks when we get out there. Awesome, man. Well, looking forward to seeing those updates, and thanks for having me on. All right. That is Adam Scully from Golf Talk Canada here on The Edge. And, yes, the WGC, Dell Technologies Match Play ongoing, and you can catch all the action probably on Golf Channel. Maybe we have it on TSN this weekend. I probably should know that. What I do know is that we have the NCAA tournament all weekend on TSN. March Madness has really emphasized the madness this year. So many double-digit underdogs, number one seeds, number two seeds, falling by the wayside, and my bracket is a disgrace. If only I had listened to our next guest. His name is Harley Redlick, and he has been on fire with his picks. He joins us next on The Edge. We are back here on the edge on this Wednesday morning. I am Aaron Karolnik, and the NCAA March Madness has really lived up to its name this year. The coverage has been fantastic on TSN. No bias here. I will say that it's been a little bit of a struggle for me in the last couple of days knowing that my Illinois squad went down. And I should have listened to our next guest because his picks have been extremely extremely profitable our guest harley redlick he has cashed millions betting pro line in ontario he has been banned by international sports books for winning too much he's a gambling law professor at osgood hall and you could follow him on twitter at sharp edge picks and i would encourage you to do so if you like winners harley what's up man good morning 
I'm good. I'm good, Aaron. Uh, yeah, I had a very prophetic uh, first week in a March Madness. No question about that. <laughs> and you, you haven't used up all your goodwill as a prophet, though. You still have some more winners for us? Yes, I do. Uh, I'm going to shamelessly plug some of my previous winners because Please. I did call COVID causing a buy. Obviously happened when Oregon got past VCU. Remember our conversation where we couldn't locate Abilene, Texas on a map? Still it's, can't. Uh, West Texas, just so you know, and they uh, knocked off the Longhorns, as I predicted. And, of course, as you alluded to, small school knocking off big school in-state. Loyola, Chicago, were over Illinois, busted a lot of brackets, and uh, they're uh, looking sharp right now. You have been red hot, and yeah, so I, I am, I'm out. My, my bracket's been busted. I had Illinois and Ohio State in the Final Four, and Illinois winning the tournament, so I'm done. But that doesn't mean the ability to profit off March Madness has concluded. And let's look at the updated odds to win the tournament. Of course, Gonzaga is still the favorite. They were plus 250 to win the tournament before it began, now down to plus 150. They're followed by Baylor, Michigan, Houston, a team you identified at plus 1,600 that you should be on the lookout for. And the big movers, Alabama has gone from plus 9,000 to plus 2,000. Arkansas from plus 6,000 to plus 1,600. What are you looking for as far as heading into the Sweet 16? Any value you've identified, Harley? When it comes to winning it all, I'm still going to stick with my Houston bet. Things are breaking right for them. You alluded to the upsets. Well, Illinois, the one seed in their bracket, got bounced. West Virginia and Oklahoma State, the three and four, got bounced. You look at Houston's path to the final four, and they got to knock off an 11-seeded mediocre Syracuse team, and then either that Loyola-Chicago team or Oregon State. Again, middle-of-the-pack teams. Nobody questions how you cut down the nets, just did you win the six games. And when things break right for you, things break right for you. I still think Houston's the bet on the board. If you want to take a flyer, Aaron, and we're going to talk about this more when we talk about the regionals, look at the four Pac-12 teams. Do you know that there's four Pac-12 teams still in the tournament and no other conference has more than two teams? Hmm, I did not know that. UCLA, USC, Oregon, and Oregon State all made the Sweet 16. Now, we talked a little bit last show about this being a strange COVID year, but COVID meant teams played most of their games against other teams in their conferences. So maybe the Pac-12 is just really good. Those four teams lost seven times to each other. So if they're all awesome, their records look disproportionately weak because they played each other. And I still think there's value on them. If you want to take a flyer on them to win the championship, you get 30-1 to 1 on USC all the way up to 60-1 to 1 on Oregon State. But if you want good value, we can talk about them to win their regions and get to the suites, to get to the Final Four. Please. And, and we're joined by Harley Redlick, who is a sports law gambling professor. You can follow him on Twitter at Sharp Edge Picks. When you talk about the value bets to win the regions, Harley, any in particular you've identified? All four Pac-12 teams. Right now, you can get 7-1 to one on Oregon State, 7-1 to one on UCLA, 5-1 to one on USC, and 6-1 to one on Oregon. Now, I know USC and Oregon are playing each other, and then the winner's going to play Gonzaga, and we'll get to Gonzaga and how amazing they are in a minute. But if you take a shot on those four Pac-12 teams and even a single one gets to the Final Four, you're almost doubling your money. Two, and it's a homer. Again, 
I think the Pac-12 looks like they were stronger than people anticipated. They've looked good in the tournament. They played each other during the year, so their records don't necessarily reflect how good they are. And I would try to ride the Pac-12 for value to get to this to the Final Four. So, Harley, we're going to see Gonzaga back in action on Sunday. They are 13-point favorites against Creighton. And we, we mentioned how Gonzaga is still the prohibitive favorite at plus 150 to win the tournament. From what you've seen from the Zags so far in the tournament, and we have to contextualize the entirety of their season, they are undefeated heading into the Sweet 16. Is there any value in betting on Gonzaga, or do you think you have to look elsewhere? I'm actually giving Creighton plus. I saw them as high as 13 and a half. I would take the Creighton Blue Jays plus 13 and a half against the spread. They're one of my two value bets this weekend, along with Oregon State plus six and a half. Why do I like Creighton plus 13 and a half? Gonzaga looks amazing. We all know that. They just knocked off Oklahoma by 17 points. They crushed in the first round. They're undefeated. 13 and a half points is too many points. Creighton's a good, gritty team. They finished second in the Big East. They can lose that game 80 to 67 and still cover the point spread. Like 80 to 67 to get from the Sweet 16 to the round of eight against a five seed is a very impressive win for the Zags. And you still cover with Creighton. Is Gonzaga amazing? Yes, but it's just too many points. Make sure to watch. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Harley. Continue. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, and then the second bet I really like is Oregon State plus six and a half. Again, Loyola Chicago has been impressive so far, but I buy stocks low and I sell stocks high. Loyola Chicago does not deserve to be in a six and a half point favorite ever against a Pac-12 solid tournament team who's done as well as Oregon State has so far. They are... Great as a mid-major, they're great as a gritty dog, but when they're a six-and-a-half-point favorite and feeling the pressure and expected to win, I would take Oregon State in the points. Ooh, Sister Jean is not going to be impressed with that pick, Harley. You need to be careful. Don't disrespect Sister Jean on my watch. I want to quickly get your take on Syracuse and Houston. Houston's a six-point favorite, and Syracuse, I mean, it's almost a love story. You know, you have the Bayheim family, Jim Payheim, his 45th year coaching the Orangemen, and, and you, think about, uh, you think about Buddy Bayheim as well, just nailing threes. They're a fun team to watch, but you don't think that they're able to contend with, with Houston and, and and what they, what they provide uh, up front as six-point dogs, Harley? Sure, anything's possible. I, if I was betting that game, and I rarely, rarely get favorites, the sharp edge is usually on the dogs, I would take Houston minus six. I like teams coming off of tough, gritty wins. Houston would look like they were down and out. They were down eight, ten points to Rutgers with three, four minutes ago, and they pulled it off. The better see that, and they're hesitant to lay the six. Syracuse, meanwhile, looked great against uh, West Virginia, which was a top-seeded team after knocking off San Diego State. So, again, Syracuse is the dog, but they're the dog that you're, is inflated right now. They, they look too good their last two games. I would kind of bet against that run. I see Houston advancing and possibly even covering the six. Harley, I know you wanted to chime in on the Raptors, who are one-and-a-half-point dogs hosting Denver tonight. We had Bruce Arthur on in the first segment about 40 minutes ago. We were setting odds on the likelihood that Lowry would be traded and the impact on other teams. Should he be traded? Norman Powell, what's your take on the Raps situation from your perspective? I heard you guys and Bruce. I largely echo Bruce's sentiment Uh we have to trade Kyle, period. Am I grateful to Kyle for everything he did? 
six divisions in the last seven years, nine playoff wins. Remember, we couldn't win our first-round series to save our life. We won nine playoff series in the last six years, and obviously we won the Larry O'Brien trophy largely because of Kyle. And I'm grateful, and I'll never understand how a little man in the NBA who's banked $150 million takes charges the way he did because I would take the money (laughs) and sit on the bench and pretend I had an ankle injury, and I give him all the credit in the world, but we're at the end end of the road. And what are we hoping for? Forget about this year, next year. What do we want to be, a seven seed and lose to the Sixers in five games in round one? Like, I mean, that's NBA hell. Let's just blow it up, get rid of Kyle, get rid of Powell. I mean, you couldn't get rid of Siakam for free because of the salary cap. <laughs> and MLS, things are breaking right for MLSE. We just won a championship a couple of years ago. They got the Leafs looking hot. Let's let the Leafs run it hot for two, three years. Let the Raptors rebuild. and Hopefully in a few years we can go on another serious run. Well, the Leafs were running hot, maybe not so hot in recent week, I mean, last couple of weeks, but I imagine a game against the Ottawa Senators tomorrow night may rectify any problems they have. Harley, as always, we appreciate it. We will absolutely have you on before the Final Four, and I can't wait to put my wagers in. Um, all your picks have been cash money so far in the tournament, and I imagine they will continue to be throughout the rest of it. Thank you for doing this, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Aaron, and congratulations on the sportsbook launch. I hope to be a part of it. Yes, FanDuel, DraftKings, ProLine, no chance to compete with Aaron's sportsbook. That is Harley <laughs> Redlick, who you can follow on Twitter at SharpEdgePicks. NCAA maestro, no doubt about it. Uh, coming up next on The Edge, Bobby Marks from ESPN. He's a front office insider. He had some comments about Kyle Lowry and how a trade with Philadelphia and or Miami may be consummated and it might very well affect the way you perceive the likelihood of this deal going down. I'm Aaron Korolnik. You're listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050. All right, we're wrapping things up here on The Edge on this Wednesday morning. I am Aaron Korolnik, and if you've heard about some injuries suffered to Toronto Blue Jays players over the last week or so, well, let's add another to the list because our Blue Jays reporter Scott Mitchell is saying that Kevin Biggio has been scratched from today's Blue Jays lineup with right pinky finger discomfort. He took a ball off his finger the other day receiving a throw, and we're talking about Pearson and Yates and Hatch, and now it's finally hitting the Blue Jays' batting order. So if you bet the Jays over 87.5 wins or to make the playoffs at minus 130 or to win the American League East at plus 350, it's probably not feeling all that great right now, but uh, we did hear from Ross Atkins yesterday how the potential is there for a trade. Otherwise, you might be looking at a lot of Tanner Roark and Stephen Matz starting games for the Jays. I mean, that could work out, but probably not as well as the Blue Jays would like. All right, let's get back to the Raptors. And we had Bruce Arthur of the Toronto Star who joined us earlier. And we were playing Aaron Sportsbook, where I set odds on the likelihood of certain things happening with the Raptors ahead of tomorrow's trade deadline at 3 p.m. The two big names, Kyle Lowry and Norman Powell. And Bobby Marks, ESPN's front office insider, he was on SportsCenter this morning, and he explained just how a trade of Kyle Lowry to his hometown, hometown Philadelphia 76ers may look from a salary cap perspective. 
So a lot of teams are in on Kyle Lowry. Miami, Philly, let's start with the Sixers. What would they have to give up to get him? Yeah, there's going to be a pattern here when we talk about Philadelphia. And when you look at it, uh, Kyle Lowry is on a $30.5 million contract, okay? So when we put Lowry in a deal, he is not extension eligible. So whoever gets him is likely going to be a rental or you know what you have to pay him in free agency. Stacking the contract, you have to get to $24 million in salary. So when you look at the Sixers roster, it starts with Danny Green, okay? And then we just keep on adding players like Mike Scott, Terrence Ferguson. Here's the big question. What of one of your young players are you going to want to add in here? Potentially a player like Tyrese Maxey. They also have all their first-round picks, as you can see, 21 and 23. And then the trade, the trade worked. But rarely do you see a team who's the, the best team in the Eastern Conference trade out four players for one. Right. That's the challenge as far as stacking the contracts there. Okay. We'll see how that plays out. Yes. Some, some issues with that contract trying to get Cat Lowry on your team. Danny Green. No. Not Danny Green. Anyways, we'll see how that all works out. Danny Green would not be the centerpiece of a deal for Kyle Lowry, but he would be the man who would make the salaries work, which is very important at this point in the NBA from a salary cap perspective. And again, if you're looking at NBA futures and you're going to prognosticate Kyle Lowry's landing spot, getting the Sixers at plus 1,500 to win the NBA title, assuming they get Kyle Lowry, which is still an assumption at this point, or Miami at plus 3,400, there's a lot of value there because I think a big three of either Lowry, Simmons, and Embiid or Lowry, Butler, and Bam Adebayo could pose some significant problems for the Brooklyn Nets, especially on the defensive side where we know how great Brooklyn is offensively, but can they defend? And I don't think it's it's a stretch to say that Brooklyn would not be able to come close to defending the way that Philadelphia or Miami would if you add Lowry to those respective squads. We're going to be back next Thursday. A special Wednesday edition today because tomorrow's NBA trade deadline. At this time, Jim Taddy, Nikki Reyes, and Josh Lewenberg will with you. A special NBA trade deadline edition of, I guess, the 10 to noon time slot on TSN 1050. So I look forward to that, and I look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks to Bruce Arthur. Thanks to Adam Scully and Harley Redlick. And thanks to Chris Diavero, 20 Fingers, our technical producer today. I'm Aaron Koronik. You've been listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050.